Do you live by the principle the way up is the way down? Or the way of exaltation is the way of humiliation? If you do, then this story that happens in the life of our Lord, it's familiar to those who read through the Gospels. But as familiar as the story is, it has not assimilated itself completely into the body of Christ as the centrality of Christ intends. I want you to hear this event that occurs in the life of our Lord in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at the 20th verse, of a solicitous, of a solicitous mother who comes to make a bold request of our Lord. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right, the other at your left in your kingdom. <laughs> you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink of the cup that I drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you'll indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong for those whom they've been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about it, they were indignant with their two brothers. Jesus called all of them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God. The scene opens immediately following the third prediction made by Jesus of his passion. While Jesus is predicting passion, his disciples are plotting for positions. And this is where the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, steps on the scene and takes central stage. She comes in a posture of obeisance before our Lord and makes this request of a holy ambition. She asks, Lord, would you Fill the seats that are vacant to your right and left with my sons, James and John. She's actually imitating the posture possibly of the Persian empires where she sees how the potentates are flanked by different cabinet members. Assuming that the kingdom of God must look something like the Persian empire or the Roman government which you provide vacancy, space, can it be filled with my sons? When Jesus speaks, he hears the woman, it's her voice, but he's actually now addressing the ambition of the sons. You see, James and John had been on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. They saw he, him almost displaying a kind of a divine light show where his divinity burst through his humanity. They saw his resplendent glory. 
they watched Moses on one side, Elijah on the other, and now Moses and Elijah have faded into glory. So there are some vacancies. And so James felt that he was competent to fill the chair of Moses' law. And John felt that he had the capabilities to occupy the chair of Elijah for church prophecy. And so they were asking, could they fill these vacant spaces? You know, when we read this story, we often misunderstand it the same way that the mother of the sons of Zebedee misunderstood it, the same way that James and John misunderstood it, and the same way that the disciples later in the story would misunderstand it. Notice something that is evident in the reading of the word, and that is our Lord never rejects ambition. He doesn't rebuke it. He doesn't refute it. He actually celebrates it. The only difference is they want ambition on the grounds of their own understanding. And so at that point, Jesus will have to reinterpret what holy ambition looks like and give them a different picture of what it means to be great in the kingdom or what it may mean to be visible in the kingdom. And so Jesus says in response to all of this, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea of what you're really asking me to do. And so Jesus now poses a question. Can you drink of the cup that I am to drink? It sounds innocent enough. Can you drink of the cup? And like children, when they're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a firefighter without taking into any consideration the discipline that it requires to become that. What do you want to be when you grow up? I, I want to be a teacher without calculating the cost and the discipline and the mental and intellectual exercise that it takes. Can you drink of this cup without thinking about anything other than seats? James and John said, we can drink of the cup. And Jesus said, you better believe it. You sure, you sure will. You will drink of the cup. He knew it would just be a few days where he would reach for a cup at a table in an upper room with his disciples. And he would rewrite what a covenant really looks like. And he would pin it in his own love and blood where he would hold that cup out and he would look at the wine as symbol of his very life that he would give for his church and for his people. Just beyond that, he would hold a cup again. And this time, he would be in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place where his very soul would come under such intense pressure that the words he used are symbolic of that of an olive being crushed under or beneath all of the weight. And that cup, when he would look at it that night, he would see in that cup the dregs and evil as he had never seen it before. He would see hurt and pain. In fact, he would see you. He would see me. 
At the big museum in Istanbul, there is a gold cup. At the bowl of that cup, the base of the bowl, there is a sculptured serpent that is coiled. It has ruby eyes. It has menacing fangs. You can't see the sculpture when the cup is filled with wine. But when you drink the wine from that cup, you see revealing its ruby eyes and revealing its coiled head and revealing its menacing fangs. The image of the sculpture that is there to strike, I believe that's what Jesus saw in his own cup as he now predicts in a different way of what his crucifixion and his tribulation and his suffering will look like. That's what he was asking them. And that was actually the redefinition of what it meant to be great, that if you really want to be great in my kingdom, you need to know that it requires not just service, but some suffering. There are certain movements, and I make no criticism here, in the Christian faith, they're loving, they're good people, but they believe that you can make it through life as a Christian and they want to erase suffering from their entire vocabulary. They sing no hymn with suffering in it. They listen to no anthem with suffering in it. They preach sermons with no suffering with it. They have actually a kind of crossless Christianity. But that's a Christianity that has no redemption to it. There's no redemptive value if there's no cross. That's what Jesus was saying to them. He said, can you drink of this cup? And so they had great ambition. It was just a misunderstanding that needed some new direction. And that's what he's about to give them, a new direction. And so in doing so, he holds up two images. One, the cup, the other, the towel. He will hold up the cup suffering and then he'll give images of what service really looks like. This is when you read all of the Gospels together. You start piecing together what's taking place in and around these events. Jesus says, your misinterpretation needs some clarity. I need to give you new direction. In that cup scene where Jesus will say, well, nevertheless, I will, that, that's what real service looks like. It's service where we say, nevertheless, thy will, not mine, be done. Not my will, Lord, but thine will be done. I've been pastoring since I was 20 years old. I've given all of my adult life to pastoring. I love God's people and I love his church. And I've heard a lot of people talk about a lot of things in church. And I'm still amazed at the people that want to follow Jesus. They really do. They just have their own contracts that they write up with Christ. And it's filled with all of these options, you know, all of these clauses in the Christian contract. Lord, I'll serve you until... I'll serve you, but, Lord, I'll serve you, although. 
Him and Christ asked the question, can you drink of the cup that I drink? And they just say, yes. He said, you will drink of it. And we know that it would be James that would drink of it in A.D. 44 when Herod Agrippa would kill him. John would live much longer. He would die of natural causes around 90 years of age. But still, he and all the other apostles, they would drink of the cup of suffering. But let me say another image, speak of this other image. You pick it up in the story where these ignorant disciples, James and John, are now surrounded by the indignant disciples. You have the ignorant two, the indignant ten. And that problem comes around this. They're indignant over what James and John is requested, not because they're better, not because they're more humble, but primarily because James and John beat them to the apostolic punch. They wanted the same thing. They wanted seats. And so Jesus now expands upon what service looks like. He says service does not look like these empire kingdoms with potentates that reign. They look like kingdoms, mine at least, made up of servants. And he uses two words when you read beginning at verse 26 through 28. He uses the word servant and he uses the word slave. He speaks of the servant and the slave. Let me wrap it up with one scene. It's in John 13. It's where Jesus would act out what a servant looks like. The disciples would walk through the streets of the city. Their little feet would pick up all of the refuse and filth and stench. It was customary in the upper room that you would wash those feet. You would clean those feet. And that was customary. Water, basin, towel. One evening, Jesus at the end of his very life, where the disciples kept missing these definitions, Jesus acted out the drama and got on his knees with a towel and began to wash the filth from the feet of his disciples. And he says, if you really want to know what it looks like to be a servant, if you want to know what it means to look like a slave, Jesus says, because now we have so dignified the word servant to minister. It means title and dignity and position. Slave, we call even James, the brother of Jesus, referred to himself, I, James, a bond servant. Paul said, I, James, uh, I, Paul, a bond servant. We so elevated these terms. Here, these terms are low. They're down. Jesus says, you want to know what it looks like? It looks like me getting on my knees, washing your feet. Again, we misinterpret what a servant really means. You'll hear people say, well, I'm a servant of the Lord. It's easy to be a servant of the Lord. It's more work when you have to be the servant of the Lord to God's people. That's where the real challenge is. It's easy to say, well, you know, I'm just a servant of the Lord. I don't have to speak to you if I'm just a servant of the Lord. 
I can have a vertical vision and live my life that way. But when I'm a servant of the Lord to God's people, it means I sit where God's people sit. I work where God's people work. I shouldn't say it, but I will. And I, I got a great illustration right here in your church yesterday. We're eating. The table was being served. One of my friends made the comment. He said, you're serving and referred to the gentleman as a servant. And he said, he answered right. He said, I don't like it because it's hard work. <laughs> Nothing light about being a servant. It takes work. And that's what Jesus says at the end of this event. He says, even I didn't come for you to lord it over me. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. May this week God's word penetrate our hearts in such a way that we truly live as God's servants in the world, not just to the church, but to one another. Let us pray. Teach us, Lord, what it means to really be servants in the 21st century. Teach us how to serve you by serving one another. And when service is not very popular and sometimes painful, teach us to serve anyway. Thank you for calling us into the ministry of service. May we do you right by serving thee through others. For Christ's sake, we pray and God's people say, Amen. Amen.